there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Saturday, May 12, 1951, was a sunny afternoon in southern Vermont, perfect for fishing. James Renton and his friend Herman Lincoln carried their rods and tackle boxes to an area downstream of the popular Somerset Reservoir. They wanted trout for dinner. The pair cracked jokes as they looked for a secluded place to cast their lines. But as they walked along the edge of the stream, something in the reeds caught Renton's eye. It was brightly colored, standing out from the surrounding green and brown tones. Moving closer, he realized it was a scarf. But when the friends gave the scarf a tug, it didn't budge. It was attached to something hidden in the brush. When they pushed the reeds aside and saw what it was attached to, they jumped back in terror. They had stumbled upon the rotting corpse of a woman who had disappeared almost a year earlier. They had found Frida Langer. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a podcast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. This is our final episode on the Bennington Triangle, a small area in the southwestern corner of Vermont where several mysterious disappearances occurred in the short span of five years. Last week, we examined the disappearances of five Bennington Triangle victims. Mitty Rivers, Paula Weldon, James Tedford, Paul Jepson, and Frida Langer. We also detailed the many attempts to find them, 
all of which came up short. This week, we'll dive deeper into the mysterious circumstances surrounding the five disappearances and attempt to discover what actually happened. Some believe there are legendary cryptids in the woods. Others believe a killer might be on the loose. But what makes the case of the Bennington Triangle so intriguing is that 70 years later, there's little evidence to suggest that they didn't simply vanish into thin air. Between 1945 and 1950, five people were reported missing around Glastonbury Mountain in the middle of what has become known as the Bennington Triangle. The first victim was an outdoorsman who vanished during a hunting trip. A year later, a college student disappeared on the Long Trail just outside of the small town of Bennington, Vermont. A World War I veteran vanished off of a moving bus on his journey home. Then, an eight-year-old boy went missing after his mom left him alone for only a few minutes. The last disappearance was an experienced hiker named Frida Langer. After falling in a stream, she went back to her camp to change her clothes. She was never seen alive again. There were no apparent connections between each missing person case other than proximity. All disappeared in the same 35-square-mile area. For years, investigators were without any leads. Until the body of 53-year-old Frida Langer was found in the spring of 1951. Frida's body had decomposed for months and was so deteriorated, it was impossible to determine an exact cause of death. With no ability to rule scenarios out, some theorized that Frida was attacked and her killer may not have been human. During pre-colonial times, the mountainous terrain of southwestern Vermont was home to three Native American tribes, Abenaki, Mahican, and Penacook. Each one had their own territory, but they overlapped in one place, Glastonbury Mountain, the heart of the Bennington Triangle. And each tribe believed that Glastonbury Mountain was cursed. While they would bury their dead on its slopes, they absolutely refused to live there. That can at least in part be attributed to their belief that a Sasquatch-like figure lived on the mountain. The Algonquin peoples reportedly referred to it as Weejuk. Other names for the beast loosely translate to Hairy Wild Man. But it wasn't just pre-colonial tribes who reported seeing such a creature. In the early 1800s, a stagecoach headed to the town of Glastonbury encountered some trouble. The road was eroded and washed out, making it difficult for them to continue. As they got out to examine the best path forward, the driver noticed footprints in the mud. They were too large to be human. Then, a pair of glowing eyes appeared in front of them. As the passengers screamed, the creature attacked the stagecoach. He grabbed the edge, shook it, and knocked it onto its side. And just as suddenly as it appeared, the creature vanished into the woods. The travelers stated that they only saw eyes, but future sightings started to piece together a clearer picture. It was described as a large, hairy, black thing that stood over six feet tall. 
1867, the Weejuk allegedly even made his way into town. Local residents claimed there was a cave-dwelling wild man who startled women by approaching them. Before they could get a better look at the creature, it ran into the forest. But perhaps the most shocking evidence of something supernatural living in the woods of Bennington happened just two years before Mitty Rivers went missing. In 1943, a hunter named Carl Herrick reportedly disappeared a few miles from Glastonbury Mountain. His body was found a few days later, but authorities claimed that there were huge, mysterious footprints on the ground all around him. An autopsy later revealed that his lungs had been punctured by his ribs. Herrick had quite literally been squeezed to death. Whatever had killed him was strong, and it may be proof that the Weejuk is more than just a legend. And even as recently as 2003, there have been sightings of a supposed wild man. It's always described as being around six feet tall and hairy from head to toe. Often, there's a distinction made about the way it walks, that it doesn't walk like, quote, a normal person. And there are certainly plenty of caves on Glastonbury Mountain where such a creature could live unseen. Naturally, there's plenty of skepticism about the existence of such a creature. That said, the disbelief only runs so deep. Many of the same people who claim that the Weejuk is a hoax are still afraid to spend a night on Glastonbury Mountain. However, there's no direct evidence that a monster of any kind was involved in the Bennington Triangle disappearances. Frida Langer's autopsy report didn't note any broken ribs nor signs of squeezing. There were no teeth or claw marks. But that doesn't mean that the others couldn't have been taken by the Weejuk. The old hunter, Mitty Rivers, was, after all, deep in the woods. Who knows what was lurking behind the trees? Maybe he accidentally stumbled into the beast's territory. Even with a rifle in hand, a creature with the ability to crush an adult male to death would pose a threat to any of the other victims. Two elderly men, a college girl, and an eight-year-old boy. And two of the victims disappeared in almost the exact same area, Bickford Hollow. Mitty Rivers was last seen near the hollow, and Paula Weldon was last seen on her way to the long trail, just a stone's throw away. Maybe they walked into the heart of Weejik territory without knowing it. Perhaps the others just happened across its path at the wrong time, possibly while it was out hunting. But if that were the case, how did it happen so fast? As we discussed last episode, there was a couple walking behind Paula right before she disappeared. They testified that she was only 100 feet in front of them when she crossed the bridge and seemingly vanished. If it was the Weejuk, the couple likely would have seen or heard something. No reported Sasquatch-like creatures are known to be silent, but most were within earshot of another person at the time they disappeared, most notably James Tedford. When World War I veteran James Tedford went missing, he was supposed to be on a bus, driving through the Bennington Triangle. The likelihood of any animal attack, legendary or not, is extremely low, especially a swift, silent assault that left no evidence. 
There were hundreds of people searching high and low for any evidence after most of the disappearances, but no one ever reported footprints, drag marks, or a blurry outline of a hairy wild man running through the woods. Surely, someone would have found some evidence of a Ouijuk. At the very least, they would have discovered remnants of a lair or a home. All that was found was a tuft of hair in the area where Paul Jepson went missing. But 30 years later, in 1976, the hair was examined by the FBI. It was deer hair. So while there may be plaster casts of large footprints, photos, and videos of a creature purported to be the Ouijuk in southern Vermont, there's little connecting it to the Bennington Triangle. But the Ouijuk isn't the only legendary creature accused of attacking the missing hikers. One theorist points to an alleged man-eating stone, claiming that it also was found in Native American tradition. Apparently, if a person accidentally stood on this rock, the middle would turn to clay. Then they would slowly sink. Picture a large boulder in a forest with a hand desperately trying to claw its way out before it completely disappears. If this monster was responsible, it would explain why there was no evidence. Apparently, the man-eating stone moved every night, and naturally, it blended in with its environment. From a distance, there was no way to tell if a slab of granite was innocent or thirsty for human blood, which meant it would be impossible to know if your next step was your last. However, a deeper dig revealed that there's no proof the monster comes from Native American folklore. In the 1990s, author Joseph Citro claimed in his book, Green Mountain Ghosts, Ghouls, and Unsolved Mysteries, that he had heard about such a creature from one of the local tribes. But conveniently, he never mentioned which tribe. Though it would be an eerie and wild explanation, our best guess is that Citro invented the history of a man-eating rock as a source of intrigue, a way to sell some books. But while there's limited evidence for monsters killing in the woods of Vermont, the same can't be said for humans. To this day, there are those that believe the disappearances were the work of a serial killer. Coming up, Allegations of an unsolved serial killer in the Bennington Triangle. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Now back to the story. 
While some blame the Bennington Triangle disappearances on monsters, myths, and legends, police investigators have focused on more human explanations. As we mentioned, the level of decomposition of Frida Langer's body was so gruesome that doctors were unable to determine a cause of death. On official paperwork, however, it was classified as accidental. Frida's body was found only three miles from where she'd last been seen, over half a year after she disappeared. However, more than 200 officers and volunteers had searched the surrounding area for weeks on end following her disappearance. Some even remembered combing the area where she was found. Which led a few theorists to suggest foul play. Maybe her body was dumped in the swamp after the search had ended. Her killer was aware of the search and disposed of a body in a place nobody would suspect. Somewhere they already looked. And if Rita Langer was murdered, that might mean the other victims met the same fate. Serial killers often have patterns, and there are certain similarities between most of the Bennington Triangle disappearances. The first being that all five disappeared during the last three months of the year, two in October, one in November, and two in December. Second, and most obvious, the locations were all close to each other. Mitty and Paula were last seen near Bickford Hollow, Frida near Somerset Reservoir, and eight-year-old Paul on the outskirts of Bennington. The only one who didn't fit this pattern was James Tedford. He was last seen at a busy bus station in Burlington, Vermont. Then there's the timing. The disappearances happened in a span of five years, and they generally became less frequent as time wore on. It's a common misconception that serial killers escalate the frequency with which they kill. In fact, most killers enter what's referred to as a cool-down phase before claiming their next victim. According to psychologist Dr. Scott Bonn, the length of the cooling-off period can also vary. The duration can be from days or weeks to months, and in rare instances, even years. If we remove James Tedford from the equation, Mitty Rivers went missing in 1945, and Paula Weldon disappeared a year later in 1946. And then in 1950, Paul Jepson and Frida Langer both went missing within a month of each other. If we look at the timing and location, they certainly could have been the work of one killer. Maybe the killer was an outdoorsman from out of town. Perhaps they came to the area every fall for a different kind of hunting season. That being said, there are some glaring differences amongst the victims. Take, for example, the disparity in ages. The youngest victim was eight. The oldest was 74. Their wealth, careers, and backgrounds were just as varied. And it's atypical for a serial killer to not have a type or a consistent victim profile. Think about history's most famous murderers, John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy. They chose their victims based on specific criteria. Gacy singled out young men who were often blonde and involved in sex work. Bundy always targeted young women. If there was a serial killer loose in southern Vermont, 
it would appear that they chose their victims at random. According to FBI profiler Dr. Mary Ellen O'Toole, that doesn't necessarily rule out the possibility that it was one person. Yes, there is a precedent for killers to choose their victims by type, but those preferences are based on what's, quote, available, accessible, and desirable. Maybe the Bennington Triangle killer killed based on what was available. But the reality is, there's still no physical evidence for four out of five victims. So unlike most serial killer investigations, we can't match up the way the victims were killed or what was done to the bodies. The only body that exists is Frida's. And most of what we know about the day she disappeared comes from two people, her husband and her cousin. She was last seen alive by her cousin, Herbert Elsner. Supposedly, they were going hunting together, but after Frida fell in a stream, she left Elsner to change into drier clothes. She was supposed to return within a few minutes. If she had made it back to the camp, she would have run into her husband, Max. He had stayed behind on account of his bad knee. But according to Max, he never saw Frida return. At least, that was the explanation initially given to police. But Max's story changed slightly over time. In a statement two weeks after Frida's disappearance, Max admitted that he had gone for several walks on the same evening Frida disappeared, which seemed at odds with his initial statement that he had stayed behind due to a bad knee. Then, a few weeks later... Herbert Elsner missed a court appointment to give a deposition. At the time, he claimed he was out looking for Frida. And though that might have been true, he didn't have to join the search that day, not when there were other important matters to attend to. He could have let the other volunteers look for a few hours, unless he needed to make sure her body wasn't found. Maybe Elsner wanted his cousin to decompose long enough to hide the fact that he accidentally killed her in a hunting accident. Of course, it's all still speculation, and the evidence is incredibly thin. Based on the information at hand, it's highly unlikely that Frida was murdered by anyone. According to the coroner's report, there were no visible indicators of Frida's cause of death, no signs of a struggle, no bullet wounds, no knife wounds. Even after decomposition, there would have been some signs pointing towards murder. What investigators did find was a metal plate in Frida's head. She had surgery for a brain tumor a year prior, which led to another theory. Frida hit her head when she fell in the stream. If confusion set in, she could have wandered in the wrong direction and gotten seriously lost. If she hit her head hard enough, amnesia might have even played a role. As for why her body was found in a location that had already been searched, sometimes the most plausible explanation is the simplest. Water likely carried her body downstream. Whether she was dead when she entered the water or not, we may never know. Even if Frida was murdered, and that's a big if, there's still no evidence to link her death to the other disappearances. And the most likely explanation for the other four disappearances is that they simply vanished. 
Coming up, the dangers of the gnarled woods inside the Bennington Triangle. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. Now back to the story. If neither the Weejuk, a man-eating stone, nor a serial killer had a hand in the disappearances inside the Bennington Triangle during the 1950s, the evidence points to only one other theory. The mystery only exists inside our heads. We aren't saying five people didn't go missing from the same area in the span of six years, simply that there may be no greater significance behind it. The only theory that connects all five is that they weren't connected. It's certainly not the most dramatic, but it might be the most plausible. Maybe the timing of the disappearances was a coincidence that was then inflated by the media. It's not uncommon for people to become disoriented and get lost in the woods, especially if they're inexperienced and without proper equipment. In the case of Mitty Rivers, lack of experience likely wasn't a problem. But he did venture into unfamiliar territory. In fact, he wandered into an area that his son-in-law specifically warned him about. Any number of things could have happened to Mitty. He could have tripped and fallen into an abandoned well or worse. He could have accidentally been shot by another hunter. Maybe he just got lost and spent the night in a cave hoping that someone would find him the next day. There are endless possibilities. Glastonbury Mountain is located in Green Mountain's National Forest. It's home to large predators like coyotes and black bears. But most importantly, the woods cover almost 400,000 acres. For perspective, that's more than half the state of Rhode Island. So no search party was ever going to be able to search every nook and cranny of the wilderness. Then there's college student Paula Weldon, who loved to go hiking. More likely than not, Paula went for a walk on the long trail to clear her mind between studying for final exams. One of the last people to see Paula alive, Ernie Whitman, reported that she had asked about the long trail. Connecting to the Appalachian Trail, it runs 273 miles and stops at the Canada-Vermont border. Anywhere along the path, Paula could have taken a wrong turn it was 4 p.m. when she set out on her hike. With night approaching and snow falling, she could have become hopelessly lost. After Paula disappeared, her hometown newspaper hired a private detective agency to see what they could discover. 
Her father was never satisfied with the way the state investigated his daughter's case, and he made sure that everyone knew about it. The hired detectives began examining the trail itself, specifically the markers that indicated where the path continued. As it turned out, the sign pointing out in the northern direction of the long trail was not displayed on the day that Paula went for her walk. But the sign leading to the southern part of the trail was, meaning that Paula could have easily gone in the wrong direction. But because of witness testimony, after Paula disappeared, only the northern part of the long trail was searched, which tragically means they were likely looking in the wrong area. By the time the detectives came back with the information about the trail markers, it had been weeks. There was no chance of finding Paula alive. James Tedford, his case has always been a little different. His vanishing act from a moving bus has left people completely flummoxed. We know that Tedford had gone to visit his wife and her family in Franklin, Vermont. While there, they noticed that his mental capacity was deteriorating. But as it turns out, he might have been more with it than anyone suspected. Allegedly, other men in the Bennington Old Soldiers' Home, where Tedford lived, told investigators that he might have intended to disappear. Tedford told his housemates he had no intention of coming back. Apparently, he hated living in the home. So explaining his disappearance might be that simple. He didn't want to get back on the bus when it stopped in Burlington, so he didn't get back on the bus. It would have been relatively easy for Tedford to blend into a crowd and walk away. He was rather short at a little over five feet tall. While bus drivers are supposed to make sure their passengers get back on, mistakes obviously happen. It's not out of the realm of possibility that the driver just forgot or didn't care to check on Tedford. When the bus arrived at their destination, all that remained of Tedford and his possessions was a suitcase and an open bus schedule. He wasn't reported missing until six days after he was expected at the home. By that point, Tedford could have been several states away. He could have been anywhere. Maybe he wasn't found because he didn't want to be. As for eight-year-old Paul Jepson, that too was most likely a tragic accident. The harsh reality is Paul had a history of running away. Just a few weeks before he vanished, he was found by authorities in North Hoosick, New York, 10 miles from Bennington. The curiosity of a young child is a powerful thing. Paul had proven to be adventurous, and he may have even been running away from someone or something. All we can say for sure is that little Queenie, the bloodhound, tracked his scent to the crossroads of East Road and Chapel Road, and then it disappeared. There was rain that day, which could be the reason she was unable to find any trace of him past this point. As Paul's father said, maybe he just had an urge to go to the mountains. The Bennington Municipal Forest was only about a half mile from the crossroads. He had most likely been before, and like everyone else, most likely got lost. The simplest answer is likely the correct one. 
However, strange occurrences continue on Glastonbury Mountain to this day. People have stated that they have felt disoriented and confused while hiking along the trail. That could be a sign of a supernatural force at play that we haven't even considered. We could spend the rest of our lives speculating. Maybe the Ouija attacked one of them. Maybe a killer murdered another. Maybe Paul Jepson and James Tedford ran far, far away. Or maybe they all just got lost and succumbed to the elements adrift in the wilderness. Perhaps it was a combination. The problem is, as humans, it's in our nature to see a correlation and to want to find a cause. But sometimes the answer isn't so singular. It's varied and nuanced. Just because something feels suspicious doesn't mean it is. For now, our best guess is that the disappearances are unrelated. As for the causes of death, unless bodies are found for cases that are decades old, guessing is all we can do. Guessing and staying far away from the Bennington Triangle. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back Thursday with a new episode. For more information on the Bennington Triangle, amongst the many sources we used, we found Clueless in New England by Michael C. Dooling extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Unexplained Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Anthony Valsic. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Teresa Watson with writing assistance by Maggie Admire and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.